this is Steve, and this is Steve's spotlight on someone else. We've got Scott coming in here in a few moments, I suppose. And uh, we're going to check out what's happening there. And I'm so glad you could be, you could be all be joining me, joining me here, you know, just imagining we're all standing around, around the whole earth, you know, holding hands and holding hands together. And it's just a big, big old togetherness feeling. Would you feel really together if you were, you know, doing the hands across the earth with, you know, every... Every human being of different, you know, creeds and you know, whatnot, creeds and uh, uh, races. What is what is the, all the different types of people? All people holding hands all together. Would you feel Would you feel connected then at that point, or would you just is just the same sort of same sort of you know distance you always feel from human beings, just because you know you're. You're, you, you are always yourself, you know, you're always one single person and therefore always alone in a certain sense, uh, always a loner because, because you are one single person, you know, you're, you're, you, you have to spend time alone and be, and be alone with your own thoughts. And that's just how, how life is. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's just a fact. Um, maybe that would be something to really consider as you're, as you're holding hands with people across the entire earth, you know, you think, you think you'd give a little squeeze. <laughs> you think you'd give a little squeeze in one of your hands and pass it down. And then it's like, a, it's like a wave, man. You know what? Actually don't do that. I'm not, you know, it's neat when there's a wave at the, at the ballpark, when everyone's doing the wave and we're having the togetherness of the wave, but you know, you don't, you don't gotta be the one to start that. You don't need that much. Don't need that much attention. You're not really getting any attention. Don't need that much, that much responsibility. Ah, anyway, settling down here into the, into the spotlight. Have a good one. Scott, by the way, is uh, someone that I know from uh, a uh, from Monkey Butler, which is a improv group in Denver. So he uh, I, uh, has, as far as I know, never been on Ooze Bear. Oots Bear is how I was about to pronounce it, but then I didn't. Um, so perhaps that's why it's 7:02, and then no one has arrived. I did send him a message on a messaging device earlier. I'll gonna give him until five minutes. This is I, I'm gonna keep you informed here, audience, because I wouldn't want you to be lost, feeling like you're lost out here alone, not knowing what's going on. It's not like that, audience. The way that it really is is that we're holding hands, me and you, in a in a in a forever forever linked chain of humanity given little squeezes, but not starting the squeezes, because the squeezes of the little hands as we're holding hands across across our nations, that's those little squeezes were always there, okay? We don't need to we don't need to, you know, be the ones starting the new squeezes or making new it's just, you know what? Maybe those squeezes, those little hand squeezes were all the way there from the beginning of time. From the beginning of hum humans when when we you know, descending out of the trees in Africa, looking around and recognizing that there's other, other apes like us that also are down, and we're like, hey, hey, ape, hey, other, other chimpanzee, you know what? 
you don't you don't got to be alone. If I hold your hand, I'll squeeze it, and we'll be together. And uh, also pick up that rock and do, hit it, hit that leopard in the head with that rock because man, I'm hungry. That's absolutely you know what uh, uh, apes and chimpanzees would immediately do because they ate food. They they ate they ate meat. That's why our that's why our teeth are carnivorous teeth. You know, because they were immediately like, we got to, we got to start, start bashing things in with rocks. That's how we developed. That's how humans developed. And then the next part of that story is we developed farming. And that's really one of the main developments. I think humans existed for millions of years without farming, though, audience, you know, you really think about that. That's the, the main technology that you really really, really uh, resulted in civilization, I guess. Um, I'm sure we had, uh, there were probably some developments before that, like hunting, hunting implements, uh, probably communication via cave painting. Uh, also, what's what other stuff? Fire, probably, probably conquered fire. The f first animal to do so, probably, as far as I know, I don't know. Do other animals use fire in any way? Does a dolphin use fire? Will, will a dolphin pick up a flame stick? And 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 sail across the ocean, having having being like, hey, I'm going to flambe some uh, some of this salmon that I keep on eating. Flambe, of course, is a specific type of cooking it. You know, I don't know what that means, but it probably means holding a holding it near a fire stick while trying to not have the the salmon fall back into the salty, briny ocean, fathoms and fathoms deep. All right. All right, let's send Scott a message. Are you able to sign on? Let's see, okay, I sent him an, a message via, via the WhatsApp. Let's see. Let's send him a message via the sign-up genius friends. These are the tasks we're taking care of. The audience is coming with me on this journey. I got to log into sign-up genius. All right. I know you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man. Steve is amazing at keeping it really entertaining while, uh, while uh, he figures out what he's doing here. Uh oh, I was I had to multiple multiple login attempts before success. Okay, friends. Now I've been successful. Uh okay. I know I've sent a message before. Compose, invite two people, email people participating in a sign up. Select people, people I will select from the sign up and uh boy, oh jeez. Oh my goodness. I'm working. I'm working on it, everybody. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, Scott, are you able to sign into Oozbear and get into the spotlight? Uh oh. Oh boy, and get into the spotlight. And now I have typed it. I can help. 
Let me know if I can help. It's already started. I'm talking to myself. Should I tell him that? Um, I'll just send this. Send. Send. Okie dokie. All right. Well, anyway, while we're waiting on that, let's take a look at the news here. See what kind of news we got uh, brewing up. Uh, taking a, a look at the news. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh boy. Uh, this is kind of a notable thing we have here in the news today. Uh, apparently, living uh, continues continues to be a problem for most people. Uh, just the, the mere basic facts of existing are just really problematic and, you know, really weighing a lot of people down. Um, and, you know, it's, it, that's always a continuous struggle. You know, whenever, whenever the, the, the topic of living comes up in the news, it's always notable. And, uh, you know, it's always causes me to kind of pause and reflect about how, yeah, just the, the, the basic bare bones act of existing on this planet is just, just such a fucking trial. And I'm not, not even, uh, not even being, uh, uh, ironic there, you know, you know, that existential angst, even when you do have enough time to kind of sit there and contemplate what's going on, you kind of, uh, really want to, uh, kind of claw, claw, claw those eyes out, you know, um, not claw the eyes out, but just definitely be like, you know, what's, what's going on here? What's the point? Um, and, you know, I guess the solution to that, friends, if we're going to get into the existentialism is that you kind of choose your own, you choose, uh, you know, your own meaning. You, you, uh, cause, um, you know what values values are 100 percent um uh relative you know i think people argue a lot my friends here this is something i think about so i'll tell you guys a little bit about it since we since the since the, this article that i'm looking at about notable living uh was, was in this newspaper but i'll get into this um values is something you choose it's, it's relative um a lot of people will accuse you know I don't know, people being moral relativists. Uh, I don't know that I'm a moral relativist. But I, I, I would prefer to think that you want, you, in order to kind of get out of that sticky wicket, you want to avoid harm and, and, and inflicting violence on others, you know, try to be nonviolent, um, is at least is at least the goal, uh, the thing you're going to be driving to, at least, uh, you know, there's, of course, arguments within that and, you know, certain degrees and what's the right thing to do. But I think that's the whole, the kind of whole ethical process is that some of these things don't necessarily have answers. And that's why we have ethical courses in order when we just kind of debate these things endlessly, because that, that whole process is what ethics are, you know? So um, people get upset though, that there aren't, you know, easy answers there, but that's, that is what the process is, I think. Um, so, but what I was gonna, gonna mention um, about values though, values are different. People, people aren't ever, people won't ever call you a values relativist. You know, they'll call you, a, they'll say that you are a moral relativist if, if you know, they don't like what you're saying or don't, boy, what, what, what ethics you're putting forth. But, you know, as far as values go, it's pretty, I, I think it's, it would be very hard or difficult to suggest that values are not relative. You know, because the things that you value, it's like almost like the things that you care about. You know, you can value being the best baseball player or not. You know, I mean, it's just like as a, as a human being and an individual, I don't, I don't see how, how any person could be like, oh, that's, that, that, uh, 
it's it's valuable to spend my time on being really good at baseball or you know but i mean of course it's not so that kind of value estimation of things and i think this goes into the evaluation of art and aesthetics as well i'm sure there's a very large and interesting whatever debate and discussion in philosophy about all of those about aesthetics and and, and that stuff i think part of the the aesthetics discussion is also sort of uh you know just the very nature of aesthetics and if any of them can be agreed upon whatsoever um or you know whether certain uh you know things in art uh you know uh, uh have the correct intention that they're meant to and you know there's kind of things with different ways of looking at it but anyway yeah values are relative and what's great about that that's the the the, the values being relative that's the whole kind of answer to some of the existential stuff which is that um the existential angst which is that you can choose you know the things you want to value and i think like uh you can choose what matters ultimately and i think some a lot of times the reaction to that you know you want to have a nihilistic re reaction to that or whatever it's like everything is meaningless um but that's only because if you choose to have that i mean if if, if anything only has value because you you choose for it to have value or you want to see or 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 you believe that it has value when in your or your perspective it has value, then then that really the result of that is freedom um if you think about it because then you can just choose whatever you care to do with your time and your life and so forth um so and i think the the that that idea of freedom um you know that's one of those values they pump into us you know as certainly as americans i don't know if what it's like in you know other countries necessarily but i mean i'm sure there it's a, yeah you know whatever one of the colors on the french flag i'm sure represents freedom and i'm sure it's like that in all countries the they kind of at least promote the idea that that's what they're providing to their citizens or what their what their government safeguards in some way is the freedom of the of the of the population in the country but i you know um where was I? Uh, but the problem with freedom uh, that they don't tell you when we're too busy flag waving and bombs bursting in air stuff is that uh, freedom is, if you have lots of choice, that is a lot of responsibility, right? And that's scary. Uh, responsibility is scarce a burden, really, to have so much freedom. Uh, I think they all get into this. I don't know. I read I read uh, <laughs> some Sartre one time, and that's kind of what I got out of it. You know, the 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 freedom, having that much freedom is painful. You don't want to you don't want to make choices all the time. You ever have that discussion with someone? It's like, what are we going to eat for dinner tonight? You know, it's like that discussion sucks because you have to be because if you have complete total freedom to value whatever you want to do whatever you want with your time, then it becomes a burden to make a choice because there's uh, and and also that happens you know as a as a uh, you know you you may not have recognized this but as a teacher teachers um, not not making choices necessarily but making decisions um, all the time because you know people ask you questions all of the time um, and not necessarily questions about the material I'm talking about but questions about can uh, you know for a student can I go to the bathroom can I do this can I sit here can I do that can I do this project this way uh, or you know further you know so as a teacher you get asked a lot of questions and that can be exhausting you get you get what i have read to have been called as decision fatigue you know it's it's uh, it, uh it's it really is a a thing to be because you know making a decision you, you you're you you don't necessarily know ever what the correct uh you know answer is to especially to any decision that 
um, is kind of open-ended and there's several options. Um, you know, I think with experience, certainly you get better with that. And hopefully certainly with your life, life experience, you get better at kind of wrestling with that concept of, you know, that of freedom and you can have, you have a choice to do whatever you want with your life. And with more life experience, you can figure out precisely what you want to, uh, well, uh, well, I, you can figure out more what you enjoy spending your time doing, I think. Um, or, or at least what, what, uh, you know, uh, not what you enjoy doing, but also what, what's fulfilling to you, you know, on a, on a, on a, you know, on a more, uh, kind of deeper level, like, you know, you know, like spending your time with loved ones or, or, um, you know, working towards a better community or, or kind of, you know, kind of stronger sort of values that, you know, might be more fulfilling, like kind of discovering those things might very well take time. Um, but, you know, I think as a person, well, you know what I was going to say, I'm going to say, why not be relativistic with it? Or if you want to spend your time murdering people or whatever, and I'm sure there's people who've existed, <laughs> you know, who just, just racking up those dead bodies, man. Uh, was what they wanted to spend their time doing. I'm always shocked when it comes to, to serial killers and they decide to spend their life doing that. Is how, like they got a, it's like a hobby that they spend some time on. You know, they've they put in they they're putting in effort there. They're putting in thought. Uh, at least you know some of them certainly uh, to get some of that that some of that done because you know you got up some of them had to upend their entire lives. Um, you know, when they're being, when there's, you know, there's a manhunt going on and they're being chased across multiple states and, and, and whatever. I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot of work, you know, I don't, I, uh, maybe that's just my, you know, the only reason I would have that perspective is because I am too lazy to want to, <laughs> uh, have to go through all of that for just the, the mere thrill of murdering many people. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like a, a thrill, uh, uh, that I would want to pursue, uh, because the previously mentioned um, value of uh, uh, or, 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 or guiding ethical principle that I mentioned earlier, which would be nonviolence. Um, but I don't know. I suppose there might be a fun video game where you're a murderer. That's kind of cool. There's definitely video games where you do that. Uh, it's called Grand Theft Auto, for one thing. Um, I don't know. I didn't play any of those. What are they, Manhunt? I didn't, is that what they're, they're called? There's some game where you strangle people. I never played that because I'm not that interested. You know, violence is 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 only fun in media. I think uh, really. Um, that's why Grand Theft Auto is kind of fun in that um, because that's fake. It's totally totally. You know, you don't have to have you don't have to let you, the entertainment that you enjoy uh, you know uh, dictate what your your value system is or your ethical system certainly. Um, hopefully, uh, I, 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 I don't think, I don't think in, 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 in a lot of ways that that crosses over, uh, uh, you know, people are able to assess that, you know, the, the, the reality that we engage in or whatever in video games compared to, um, you know, what, uh, uh, what, in the way that we engage with human beings in, 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 in the real world. And, uh, I think based on, uh, you know, the academic literature in that regard, uh, most people are able to, to, to have, uh, you know, figure out what's real and from what's fantasy. And video games are sort of an elaborate fantasy, just like improv, which of course, um, I haven't received a message here from Scott at all. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to move on to the next topic, which I wanted to get in here, which was the, the concept of, uh, you know, hyper-reality, which was this kind of idea introduced by Jean Baudrillard, which is like that, you know, that there are some things that 
uh, you know, we live in this world where it's where there's tons of media. We're like, uh, we're, 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 I think modern Americans, or certainly people in the Western world, or anyone perhaps who has access to internet, um, you know, we're kind of inundated with this with with a media presence all of the time, uh, and a lot of it is, you know, uh, uh, the, the product of a almost industrial process. Um, which which makes it in you know probably you know a little bit seemingly less uh, uh, you know I think a little, a little bit of artifice of course there because of the, the, the industrial processes used to create it and you know when we look at kind of some perhaps more amateur media stuff it's like uh, maybe it doesn't ring as true or I don't know because I'm certainly that you know in some of these kind of really uh, developed uh, uh, you know, art forms like film or something where it's, there's many people are involved in creating it, like the kind of the, the, that output, you know, while we identify with it with a lot, you know, we can watch, um, you know, someone struggle, you know, in a, in a movie or someone, you know, like we identify with whatever's going on in the film, you know, the conflict and, but really that's, you know, uh, it's, that's artificial. It's the product of entire people. I don't know if that's that's bad, but it's certainly part of it is the profit motive. Um, you know, they're making films and that are you know successful financially, so they they that kind of drives the the you know the content uh, to to some degree, which is something to kind of you know think about and look at when you're when you're kind of taking in some of this media. But anyway, kind of the the idea that I'm getting at with the the hyper reality is that um, in some ways that kind of artificial uh, this is what John Baudrillard was getting at, that the, that kind of artificial stuff or the, 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 the stuff we're taking in there um, in a lot of ways is more real than the actual true one. And uh, one of the, one of the um, examples of that would be like, uh, like Betty Boop is like one of the best examples. Most people could point to, to a, a 1920s flapper. Um, that would, that would be the only, kind of character we could we could point to that represents that um however she's of course betty boop is of course a cartoon character so she's not a real person for one thing um flappers were of course real people but betty boop is all is originally is a caricature of some other uh st um you know uh, star in a film so betty boop is a caricature of some someone else um but that person who was in the film uh, it was some, you know, some actress. She also wasn't a real flapper. So Betty Boop is a caricature of someone who is pretending to be a flapper. She's like, um, which is fine. Um, but the, the, that person, that that actress was, is also pretending to be other historical people um, who did actually exist and, you know, had names and were were real and dressed a certain way and acted a certain way and, uh, you know, had representation, uh, you know, had had, uh, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, uh, reputations uh, for certain things. Um, and maybe maybe even even that, the concept of flapper would be an amalgamation of different people and not necessarily uh, one person, really. So Betty Boop is a product of all of that kind of cultural stuff coming in and creating this kind of character. So this kind of notion we have of what a, of what a flapper is and Betty Boop being the best representative of it is an entire, is like a fiction of a fiction of a fiction. So, but, but nonetheless, at the same time, um, the most real version of a flapper or the best example in some ways makes Betty Boop is more real than those other examples that we are not familiar with. So this kind of idea that, you know, a lot of these, you know, maybe a media representation of certain things in a lot of ways, since that is the 
uh, in people's minds that is the first representation of that thing that they can think of, um, then in some ways that those are the most real version of that because because that's the one people are the most familiar with and that's the most the most uh you know salient one that affects culture the culture and everything that we live in so uh that's that's an interesting idea i think uh i wonder you know what i was kind of thinking about is how improv is related to this kind of idea that we're in improv improv is is artifice and it is you know um, it's also a little bit of like interacting with other people and sort of uh, in, 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 in some ways in a artificial way, in some ways in a, in a, in a, in a very real way, because you know how this person reacts and in, in specific situations where they don't, don't have a plan. You know, um, I think it's, you know, more predictable if we were all in a regular normal classroom and, you know, whatever, we're, we're being students, um, the, the way that we would be acting in that sort of scenario not an improv class, but like a regular academic classroom, the way that you would be acting in that scenario is a little bit different than, or you would get to know the person to be a little bit of a different person than, than how they act when they are improvising. Um, Cause you, you, you know, different parts of them. Right. And who, which is, which is more real, you know, uh, when you really think about it um, because in, 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 as a student or as a teacher in a classroom, whatever you want to think about, or as a, as an employee, you are, you are taking on a role um, at that point. Uh, because like as a student, you are, you know, you're being attentive and listening and perhaps uh, having some deference to the teacher. So you know, just so that the class functions, um, uh, you know, functions successfully. You know, if you're, if I think if you're a good student, a reflective student, you would um, act that way. Um, perhaps maybe you also have some um, anxiety regarding being a student and maybe you act out or whatever. But anyway, that's, those are, those are kind of roles you would be in, in that situation. And maybe that, that is not the same, situ same way you would behave if you were in a, a family, you know, if, you know, you're the family role that you have or, or different with your friends, certainly. Um, but you would, you would, you'd be acting differently in all those ways. And so improv is certainly a way that we observe how we, we act and react to different things going on. And of course there's, uh, you know, it's all in a kind of a fictional media, I mean, uh, like a fictional realm, but it is kind of interesting in that, in that they are, they are not only uh, kind of, there are genuine, I think, you know, reactions to whatever is going on to the scene to the, hopefully to the, the best of your kind of reasoning ability. You know, they always say to use the, to react at the top of your intelligence, but you know, how are you going to react any other way? But anyway, um, so uh, I guess the, the thing there, I was getting getting at is that <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, you're 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 playing these different roles, and you know which one's the real one. I I, I always kind of thought about that, like as a teacher, I was like, what's the real what's the real me? You know, I don't really, as an adult, I think you you're you're an amalgamation of all these different roles and things that you take on in different in in different scenarios, and I think that's fine. But as a teenager, you kind of have a problem with that because because you you know i don't know you're looking for a little bit of authenticity in things and and there perhaps you know things don't necessarily have too much of an authentic nature there's just this because because not just we live in this kind of culture of uh, you know, media representation of ideas and facts and different things, but also because when you really kind of try to find the authentic things that exist anyway it's like well um, they would seem alien and strange to you anyway just like if you actually 
kind of hung out with that original flapper, it, you know, you wouldn't have just because she's authentic. That doesn't mean that would be the most one that you identify with or the one that it would be the most memorable, perhaps, or, or, or you know, very clear as to as kind of what an actual flapper is. You know, Betty Boop is a caricature, which makes her 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 she's presenting herself in a kind of clear direct way as what what she is and what she represents and what she wants boop boopy do but but anyway getting you know to improv like is is it, to what extent is you know as a as a that's the kind of the idea to what extent is the, the interactions that we have during improv scenes like a uh um you know a real genuine you know relationship or a real genuine interaction um, is interesting. I think that's why part of what I like to do at the at the beginning of the spotlight is to just kind of try to have a real con real regular conversation, even though I'm usually asking about improv. Um, but just so you, you can kind of understand the the people who are improvising or that I am improvising with, um, or myself, just what is this person kind of really like, you know, to kind of get an idea of that, even though you know, like I kind of made the case kind of two seconds ago that we just kind of play different roles anyway, and maybe there isn't really an authentic version of ourselves. Uh, but, you know, who who really knows? We can we're all we can all always grow and adapt and change. And um, and that's one of the exciting things about being human. Um, I also was just kind of wondering, you know, if we do live in this kind of culture where you know, there's media and I, and it's kind of, you know, it's an industrialized media kind of thing that is what it's a, it's a facet of our lives, you know, from watching, you know, you remember watching movies as a kid and whatever, but all, all these things are you know, in some ways they're products and we relate to each other with them. We make references to them um, or quote them all the time, just, you know, cause that's how we, uh, you know, I think in the, in, in this world, the Western world, certainly, I don't know. Um, that's kind of a lot how we relate to each other. Um, that's what I'm also getting at is that's makes it, you know, is it more real than real? You know, if you're having a good time with some, uh, you know, some folks or whatever, and you're kind of bonding over the fact that you can both quote Jurassic park or something like that is, is, you know, I think that's, you know, as what is point, is that a real kind of bond or, or whatever? Is it, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of genuine in some ways, but um, I think kind of thinking about our, our own relationship with this kind of media sphere is interesting because it's, it's the, the media kind of being presented to you as a form of communication. So you've been receiving this type of communication your, your whole life, you know, like, um, you the movies have been communicated been they've been being communicated to you your whole life right you've, you've watched them and and certainly some of your experience of your life is you experiencing that movie so you incorporate it you incorporate that into i don't know to who you are or to at least it's a shared experience i think that's kind of why we like to quote things together right because because you, you, you know you and i if you have seen jurassic park you, we both kind of understand what it is like to uh, you know, just that whatever that opening scene where they're first looking, and then the the, the the dinosaurs are there. You know, that might be a shared experience that you and I both have if you have in fact seen that movie. And it doesn't have to be Jurassic Park. You can think about any movie that we probably both have seen. And if and if the scene was a in the movie or film was effective in any way, then we kind of do have that kind of shared experience. Um, and and that that kind of shared experience is can can is you know between people who are entire countries or continents or states away or whatever, um, which is re really kind of interesting. 
um, that's definitely something you know be before the the you know the dawn of cinema that was that would be something that would be shared through through books I think and then you know even before the the printing press that would only be probably something that would be shared shared um, similar experiences would probably just be the the Bible being read to you in a different language in Latin or something like that um, that would be the kind of experience you'd have in common which is just kind of you know definitely uh, you know, because you probably if you were all we're all probably peasants in this scenario, and we're not able to afford books. Is is how I'm thinking about it. So, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be yeah, yeah, and someone who could afford books, like some you know whatever noble person or, or member of a royal family, if if that's who you imagine yourself to be in that scenario, then you would only be able to relate to other people who have the same access to those things. Also, I mean, even people who were would be local to you and be wouldn't would be you know peasants, um, they would have different experiences because they wouldn't have read anything ever, um, and you would have that kind of alienness towards each other. I, I suppose that, but I maybe you know in this modern culture where we do have those kind of media shared media experiences, maybe that does make us closer or at least give us, yeah, I mean you know common common ground, common perspective, in in a in a, in a, in a kind of crazy kind of way that ha you know is probably only you know a few hundreds of years old um but uh so i keep tr the, the the media here right it's something that's being communicated to us and it's a lot of times it's the, all of those movies and stuff is one directional you know um it, it, it's, it's that it, it's that industry kind of pumping it out and i mean i think it's a little bit different nowadays because of the internet um, because we can share co our comments and things on internet forums regarding films or whatever topic we, we want to talk about. Uh, and you can usually get into a conversation with somebody about whatever random thing that you want to chat about. But um, in some ways, the one, one way, you, you are like a receptacle to be communicated to via film. But um, how many films, you know, have you made or how many films have I made? I've certainly made internet videos and things like that, but the communication to with, you know, through film as a medium of communication, it's like, how, how often do you get a, uh, the opportunity to do that? Or how often do you, do you actually do that? Um, and certainly you don't ever do that on a, I mean, if you've done that on a wide scale, I've never done that on a wide scale, but that, I don't, I don't know if that, if that's an interesting experience or not, but the, um, you know, to become one of those kind of cultural touch, touching points that, or shared experiences that, that, oh, you know, huge wide groups of people have. I don't know. It makes you wonder how Steven Spielberg would react to, to you know, I mean, he experienced the movie of Jurassic Park in a completely different way because he was sitting there filming it and telling people how it wanted to be. And he probably read the screenplay first. And so he imagined it before he saw it. And, you know, he, he's a person puzzling it all together. And ultimately, you know, editing it and, you know, how many times do you think he sat down and watched the finished thing? Um, probably a few times, but, you know, probably not at all in the last 20, 20 years. Or so, um, because, I mean, if you're living your whole life as that, which he did for some time in order to make that film, it's probably not revisiting it very often, um, I suppose. But anyway. Oh man, maybe he's you know they they make various properties and things based on it, so maybe he's got to revisit that whole world or idea. But anyway, um, you know uh, the communication as as being being someone who can communicate to large groups of people via you know a film is is a 
is a position few people have, and you know maybe even Steven Spielberg isn't fully in fully in control. He he certainly has plenty of power as a director, as a very successful director, but probably a lot of other directors don't have that kind of control of what they're kind of conveying to to the masses. Um, but so to the extent that we are also creators in that in that scenario as well, where we're using films to communicate, and not just films, but other things too, like um, like commercials and advertising, or or you know, both just visual advertising like billboards, or advertising like just uh, the you know on a on a radio or on a uh, those are all things that are being communicated, and we're all receptacles of that. But I think that's part of you know what what improv gives us an opportunity you know um, to be people who create those sort of things and kind of communicate in that way you know like as not just as a receptacle but as as, as pushing that out pushing that kind of how we're perceiving it out and be and like kind of participating in that sort of uh creative uh action that sort of exists so like being in an improv scene or you know we're, we're in a herald and we're doing a, like a group game and we're all kind of saying some commercial nonsense and we're creating a commercial together kind of is like you know you're i i don't know to me it's like you're kind of it, it, you're you as a person who is now creating that type of medium you know i think you are in some ways having a a there's a uh i don't know i i a, a response to kind of the fact that throughout you know your entire life you're just those things are just being pressed upon you um but with with improv or also you know throw other art forms in there like with writing or uh visual arts and things you have this opportunity to kind of um present you know or create something along the same lines to be kind of part of the you know it creates it from a monologue of this industrialized media sphere, just pressing it down upon you all the time. And maybe it changes into a dialogue where you're like, well, this is, you know, this is what I think a commercial is like. And it's like this, blah, blah, blah. I want, this is $7.99. I want to sell you this crap. You know, you kind of, uh, you kind of participating in that sort of, yeah, really a dialogue between you and the weird kind of culture that is, you know, advertisement. And I don't know, I think maybe that has a positive aspect on your life because when the next time commercial you kind of look at, it's like, well, you've, you've created a commercial before in, in a lot of ways by doing improv or whatever, or maybe as a, in a sketch format as well. It's another place you might be creating a commercial, but, um, or, you know, as a drawing also too, you know, media, you know, as a comic, something like that. But I think that, that kind of, you know, probably gives you a little bit of a different perspective on it. Um, I would imagine because suddenly you're you're a, you're a creator too, and you're not just this kind of uh, you, you know passive kind of receiver antenna for all this media swirling around you. You're kind of creating it too. I don't I don't think necessarily it would get broadcasted out to the to the extent or the kind of recognition like to, for that to happen is probably pretty difficult. And I'm sure fame. And that sort of recognition kind of messes people's minds up completely. But it's just kind of uh, I don't know. Uh, I think just just how you would see it and per perceive that sort of things changes by participating in improv, just in a sort of a media kind of way. Uh, I don't know. So that's what I was kind of thinking about a little bit. Let me know. Let me know what your kind of thoughts are there. I've been talking for like 38 minutes and I haven't received. Oh, let's see if I've received a message. 
no, I received a message that Rachel is going to go take a nap in the other room. Um, so that's not the type of message we're looking for. I wonder, I wonder if I get messages through here. Do I get messages through Sign Up Genius? That is, that does, does look possible. All right. Well, uh, messages recently sent. I don't have any messages from Scott. I sent him a message on everything that I know how to send him a message on. Um, so, yeah, how does that, does that affect our morality at all? No. <laughs> I guess it's always kind of difficult to kind of be like, well, what sort of media stuff that's going on is a violent one. You know, that's, I, I just said, you know, I don't mind uh, kind of violence in video games, but that's the whole kind of that, that whole kind of ongoing discussion, I think, in society where it's like, well, um, does, is this particular topic, you know, uh, I don't want to say the word offensive, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind, or is it damaging to people's uh, to other to other kind of people, because certainly, I don't know, a lot of people who are looking around at society right now are like, oh, there's a whole bunch of messages going around in our society that completely fuck people's minds up and make them shitheads uh, and makes them really annoying and stupid. Um, so that kind of sucks. I was looking at, uh, you know, the difference between left-wing and right-wing politics and the way that the Wikipedia defines it is that left-wing politics is that we, the, our, we should be striving towards an egalitarian and equal society, whereas right-wing politics would like to, um, you know, work towards a, uh, or maintaining the current hierarchy. Um, those are just the, the straightforward, most basic definitions of those two ideas. And when you really just boil it down to what other they're mainly, we're mainly looking at here, it's kind of like, well, well, ob well, which one's better, really? Uh, I mean, you really want to keep the fucking hierarchy? Is that what, is that what we're is that what we're thinking? Where our our development and creation of technology and our and our and our vast and our our ability to kind of uh, you know sculpt the world to what we have it, what we want to be doing with that is maintaining a hierarchy, or even thinking about it as a hierarchy is kind of fucked up, right? I mean, the relationships that we have to people, you always want to think about that as a hierarchical structure. I remember when I first enrolled, I went to military school, and that's what they they the the key term we were kind of told as freshmen. Um, when we like by the by the headmaster or somebody was the concept of a pecking order, which is essentially just a hierarchy, right? Where they 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 brought these, you know, we're like thirteen and fourteen year old kids, and they're like, "Hey, you are the lowest guys on the ladder right now as you're entering high school, so you need to listen and obey other people who, some of them, simply have been there longer. Um, you know, certainly some of the students who are in a higher grade just simply by the fact that they're in a higher grade doesn't make them any less of fucking complete fucking idiots um than you know you might be at that point or have any kind of insight to anything so i mean i don't know these hierarchical structures what they make some people feel good about where they are and they give some people kind of a way to look at the world and uh and something to strive for or something um, as opposed to, you know, kind of living in an uh, equal, kind of more equal society where we're all kind of, uh, you know, helping each other out and believing that others deserve the same opportunities that we have. Even just the same opportunities, that's what the, the you know, whatever, the right wing always wants to say. They, they're 100% they're, they're, they're myth. They always want to present is that everyone has the same opportunity. That is a myth that 
you know, uh, helps to uh, maintain the hierarchical structure as it currently is, as opposed to being something that is actually true. Um, anyone who would push that, that, oh, that things are already fair, that person probably has already convinced themselves. Think if things are fair, they've convinced themselves that their hard work has paid off and they have gotten to whatever position that they are in through their own, uh, you know, effort and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and, and then that kind of belief that they have regarding their own competence is why they you know, they're going to push that ballot to maintain the, the hierarchy, the current hierarchy as they see it, because they feel like they, they have earned their position on it, which is, which is stupid. I, I would rather be the type of person, you know, that it doesn't matter where, where you are in a hierarchy. I don't like hierarchical structures like, like, right. Shouldn't you can't find value in your life without being above somebody else. Like, I don't like, like what what other people like with you spending your time and having value doing things does that really matter uh you know where you are in relationship to other people how you yourself are feeling how how the reality that you are experiencing is being translated through the lens of your experiences does that have anything to, to do with other people being in a lower position than you or the fact that other people are going to listen to what you say um simply because you are in that position yeah I don't know, but at the same time, uh, let's oh uh, let's analyze let's analyze this. What I was saying in in the sense that uh, I was talking about being a student earlier, and you know, a more productive kind of classroom would be one where uh, you know the students kind of defer it to some in some regards to the teacher um, in order to make the 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 classroom um, you know function properly. You know, like as a student, you'd be you'd be, you know, you you sit down, you're, you're going to be quiet if when the teacher kind of, you know, walks in the front and you're kind of, you're, you're, you're looking at you're, there's the teacher is standing, you know, you're sitting, you're looking at them. I, uh, the, the, the teacher automatically has the, um, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a well, nice functioning classroom, of 